Hello and welcome along to episode 6 of the Planet Sports Rugby Podcast Japan 2019. I'm Adrian Barnard and it's match day 5 of the 2019 Rugby World Cup and with most of the teams now having played one game each, well the tournament is well and truly underway. Today we're looking ahead to Wednesday's Pool D clash between Fiji and Uruguay with our analyst Jeff Anderson, a former player, referee and referees coach from the United States of America. And Jeff will also be telling us about his role as a world rugby educator, which I have to confess was a new term to me. And we'll also be sharing your thoughts on social media about the teams that have impressed you most so far. Well, that's coming up later, but we'll start by heading across now to Jeff Anderson in Japan. Well, Jeff, wonderful to have you back again with us, and we've been enjoying your analysis of the unfolding Rugby World Cup over the past few days and so Wednesday we have the game in Pool D Fiji against Uruguay now we've seen Fiji in action already they lost to Australia after giving the Wallabies a bit of a scare early on in that game mm-hmm. and then we have uh, Uruguay who are representing South America along with the big boys from that part of the world the Pumas of Argentina so Fiji Uruguay I mean I would expect Fiji to romp that if not win quite easily what are your thoughts on that game i agree too i mean when fiji can put 21 points up against uh, australia in a losing effort i think they can at least double that against uruguay uh, the flying fijians and i called that for nothing they have the backs that are just going to run ragged around people uh, they're going to leave uruguay i think uh, in their dust in the americas i don't know if uruguay is getting better or Canada is getting worse because Uruguay right now is 19th in the world. Canada's 22nd. Canada used to be top dog in the Americas with uh, Argentina, but now Uruguay is moving up the line. That's because Canada's getting worse, Uruguay better. I really don't know, but I'm glad to see them here. This is their uh, fourth World Cup, and uh, the experience will do them good. I really would like to see rugby prosper in South America. And uh, mm-hmm. You know, you've got to have you got to beat football there. That's the problem. Hmm. But um, Brazil is now has a rugby team, a fairly good rugby team. And uh, so do some other countries. There's a, a um, contest every year. United States is in it uh, with some South American teams. And it's, it's good that rugby is starting to come on, but uh, not so much in Uruguay as it should have been because they've had, they've had rugby for quite a number of years. Hmm but they just cannot build the, the culture, uh, I guess, away from football. We were talking to Damien Stevens from Namibia a few days ago. Uh, he scored the first mm-hmm. try in Namibia's opening game, although they lost heavily. And he was talking about the fact that, you know, realistically, what Namibia are trying to do in this Rugby World Cup is win their first ever Rugby World Cup finals game. They know that they're minnows, mm-hmm. they're part-timers up against all the professional players. But his point was, unless you play against the big boys, unless you play against South Africa mm-hmm. and New Zealand, you're never going to improve. So that would be something that Uruguay will be looking to do as well, to build on for the future. And maybe if they can perform fairly well, they've got young players or young people watching back home on the television. That might inspire a new generation. That is so true. You know, the United States is, I think, 3-24 in World Cup games, never made out of the pools. 
uh, Coach Gary Gold of the USA says, hey, uh, we know reality. We just we want to win one game in the pool. That's going to be success for us this World Cup. So same here with Uruguay. They'd love to win one game in the pool. Uh, two would be fantastic, but um, I think they have a better chance against Georgia than Fiji. But, uh, yeah, just one win could turn things around quite well back in Uruguay. People say, hey, we can actually beat other teams. I was going to say, yes, that's going to be their cup final, isn't it? Uruguay against Georgia. Yes. Both teams there realistically thinking we've got a good chance of winning something here. And uh, how good that would be mm. for the fans and supporters back home. That's right. I mean, you don't want to come home with zero wins and your tail between your legs. You weren't expected to win anything and you come back with a win, one win. You, you can get the heroes welcome. You know, you did much better. You didn't come in last in your pool. You can hold your head up high. And, of course, you've got the other advantage now that if they lose by a margin of less than seven points, then they will pick up a bonus point. And even that is a good starting point, isn't it, when you're used to going out and being hammered? Yep. Yeah, to come home with a point is something. (laughs) Then zero. Well, Jeff, uh, we mentioned uh, when we were talking to you a few days ago about your own career as a rugby player back in the USA and in Japan, too. Also, throughout your illustrious career, you've been a USA referee coach and a world rugby educator. So I'd just like to unpack that and find out a little bit more about that, uh, how you got into the coaching of referees and what that role has meant for you. What have you been doing in that? Well, I took the uh, CMO1, Coaching Master Officials, uh, Level 1 course, oh golly, about 12, 13 years ago, and I really enjoyed it. And uh, then a few years later, I took the Assessors course, too, and I hated it. (laughs) And in a nutshell, we humorously say an assessor looks for what's wrong in a referee and tears them down. A rugby coach looks for good in the referee and builds them up (laughs) because the assessor you know, he has certain points you start with, like perfection as the referee, and during the game, he's knocking you down for missing this call, missing that call, and you get your final score, and it tells you where you should be on the uh, chart of, um, you know, the referee ladder. But a coach doesn't do that. He takes the player, and he builds them up. He tells them what's right, and puts in positive terms what could be done better. Hmm. Instead of saying, oh, man, you missed three hands on the ruck in the first half. You could say, you know, you caught five people hands on the ruck in the first half. There were three you missed, but you caught five, and that's a great start because you're not going to get 100% right off. So so you put it in positive terms. You build the person up. You work with them. And, and of course, you only give them two or three points to work on. Mm -hmm. So with coaching, too, you know, we, we do a written report, too, but I like to, after the game, take the referee, go somewhere, uh, like a little restaurant, have something to eat and drink, relax, learn about their lives, what they want to do, and uh, how far they'd like to go in refereeing, or is it just fun, and really get to know a one-on-one, break them down, and then I'll get into their game and be positive about it, because, you know, you don't want to take a young referee and tear them apart and says, forget it, I'm leaving because that's a very good point, Jeff. Is he uh, refereeing in the United States? Is that amateur status or is that professional? Because if you're amateur, there's lots of other things that they could be doing with their time. And if you knock them down too much, they'll just say, that's I'm correct. out of here. Yeah, yes, it's amateur. I don't know uh, if any of our national or international panel referees are professionals. I mean, of course, they get their 
costs covered and uh, kit and things like that, but I don't think they get a salary now. Okay, well, and that's still ongoing for you, is it? Uh, Yes, it is. Oh, I love it. I love it. Love the coaching because, you know, I was a college professor for 16 years, and I love teaching. I love importing into young minds. (laughs) And also, Jeff, since 2008, you've been a world rugby educator. Now, that sounds a very grand title. I have to admit, I don't know what that means. So can you help us with that? It's all for, well, referees, coaches, uh, many, many different things. Uh, and being a world rugby educator in America now, if you are like a new team, a new college team, you must have a coach who has gone through level one coaching. And same with referees as a world rugby educator for referees. All of us who are referee educators will take a bunch of players who recently retired. They want to take up the whistle. And we give them an all-day class called a Level 1 L1. It's not books. It's outside working and positioning, what to look for in line-outs, uh, where your running lines should be, uh, whistle signal call, working on your whistles and everything, uh, what to include in your kit bag. Then Level 2, for those uh, who are climbing the referee ladder and want to make territorial panel, uh, that's a two-day uh, one. We have uh, Rugby 7s educators that's a half a day to teach uh, referees how to be sevens referees so i've been assisting it or doing it really since the year 2000 but i finally became an educator in 2008 when the educator in our state uncle don we called him he says i'm retiring you take over whoa i gotta get myself licensed (laughs) fast Well, Jeff, there's one question I really must ask you. You've been a player as well. As part of your role then as a world rugby educator with the referees, do you also have to train referees about some of the tricks that players will use to try and deceive the referee about some of their actions? Absolutely. Every single L1 class that I teach, I ask, how many front rows are here? And if there's two or three hands, I would say, three of you come up front. Okay, tell us the dark side of the front row, things we need to look for, that you play tricks on the other side to try and get something uh, in upper hand illegally. Because really, the front row is the most dangerous place where somebody's going to snap a neck. Mm. And I've learned a lot of things I've never known about what's going on on the front row (laughs) that I now spot and can immediately penalize. Well, Jeff, it's been really good to catch up again and find out a little bit more about your role other than being an analyst uh, for us. Uh, Thank you very much for joining us again today. And we'll be catching up with you again on Thursday. And we'll be um, then looking ahead to the rest of the tournament and how it's unfolding. But for now, uh, Jeff, enjoy the the tournament out there in Japan and we'll speak to you on Thursday. Which means in Japanese. Thank you. And uh, it's nice to be talking with you. Well, now we turn to social media and you've been letting us know which teams you think have really impressed you so far in this Rugby World Cup. And you've been getting in contact with us on WhatsApp and we'll be giving you the number in a little while. So if you'd like to contribute and let us know your thoughts on the World Cup as it unfolds in Japan, you can contact us by that means. So that number coming up. But first, here are some of your thoughts 
on the teams that have impressed you so far. We're starting with Paul Apollo in Kenya. And Paul says, so far, the team that has really impressed me is England. I think they mean business, unlike the other teams. But let's see if they continue with the same spirit all the way to the finals. Yes, Paul's a long way to go yet, for sure. And uh, next we go to Mekutu Indipili in South Africa, who says, I have to say, I was mostly impressed by Russia, even though they lost. They showed true character in their defeat against a strong Japanese outfit. Yes, that's true. It's not just the teams that are expected to win the competition that are impressing us. And that point is echoed by Kumbi Rikoro in Namibia, who says the Namibian team did well. We expected a 40-point difference. Well, yes, uh, they lost to Italy, but certainly wasn't by 40 points. So some encouragement there for the Namibians. To Gabriel Namusasi in Kenya now, who says the All Blacks, their error rate is something to put into consideration, since at this level, the rest of the teams have no chance against them. I feel they're still the team to beat. And uh, yes, that's right. The All Blacks are, of course, the reigning champions. To South Africa now. And Vuyisa Tawani says, Fiji, for me, they have been the most exciting and have the most hard-hitting players. And Mickey in Kenya says, for me, France, and especially their fly-half Antamak. Their team play is very beautiful. And they had a good win against Argentina. And staying in Kenya, Stephen Simiu says, uh, I'm impressed by the upcoming teams like Georgia, while they have little, but doing more to prove themselves on the World Cup scene. And uh, yeah, that's how the lower teams we sometimes call the minnows have got an opportunity to improve and play against some of the best teams in the world. So if you'd like to get in contact with us uh, about your thoughts on the World Cup, how it's unfolding, send us your thoughts on WhatsApp. And the number is plus four four seven seven zero seven 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 six seven nine zero. That's plus four four seven seven zero seven 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 six seven nine zero. And we look forward to hearing from you. Well, that's all we've got time for today. But in tomorrow's Japan 2019 podcast, we'll be bringing you the remarkable story of Chris Jones, the only player in the history of Welsh rugby to be banned for life twice. It's a remarkable story and Chris will be telling us how he turned his life around and has now got a more positive outlook on life and how he is helping young people in Wales to find hope and a purpose in life. That's tomorrow on the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast Japan 2019. But for now though, that's all for today. So thank you very much indeed for listening and the Planet Sport Rugby Podcast Japan 2019 is a passion for sport production.